Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Hey folks, Jason Moore here. Welcome back to the Elite HRV Podcast. Dr. Eldred Taylor from our very popular episode three is returning to the show today to go into greater depth on amino acids, neurotransmitters, digestion, and other uh, micronutrients as well. Um, A quick recap of who Dr. Eldred is. He's the president of the American Functional Medicine Association and co-owns a successful functional medicine practice in Atlanta, Georgia with his wife, Dr. Ava. Um, And they work with folks of all different kinds, um, but they specialize really in bringing people back to a healthy state from uh, a state of sickness or subpar health. And people literally fly from other countries on a regular basis to visit Dr. Eldrin and Dr. Ava's clinic due to the success that they have in transforming their patients' lives. It's it's not always been glamorous, actually, though, and, and Dr. Eldred would be the first to say that he and Dr. Ava have learned a lot over the last couple decades uh, that they've been in practice, and it's taken that amount of time really researching and trying new things with an open mind to reach this level of success in their practice. So uh, without further ado, put on your propeller hat and let's dive in. Today, we're going to be talking specifically about amino acids, and we're going to dive into those a little bit uh, and how they relate to heart rate variability. And uh, I know that you've actually given presentations on this topic before. Is that is that right? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I, I have a lecture. It's uh, how to identify and uh, treat stress and stress-related uh, conditions, and we talk a lot about uh, uh, amino acids. Okay, so let's maybe start at the at the thirty thousand foot view, and then kind of narrow in. What are amino acids? Let's just start with that. What are amino acids generally? Amino acids are the building blocks to proteins. And a lot of people, when you say protein, you think about muscle. Uh, And no doubt about it, amino acids are important uh, to make the proteins that are involved in muscles. But amino acids also makes the proteins that make uh, antibodies. So it's important in your immune system. And when we're talking about uh, heart rate variability, it is important in making neurotransmitters. And neurotransmitters are the chemicals that transmit messages between neurons. And with heart rate variability, you're looking at the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, and how do they communicate with each other? How do they balance each other out? So you have to have enough amino acids to make all of the neurotransmitters so that you have the ability to have a balanced heart rate variability so that there's enough parasympathetic activity to balance off any sympathetic activity that you might be involved in. So the 30,000 foot view is you have to uh, have the building blocks uh, to allow your nervous system to work correctly so that your heart rate variability can be maintained or can be improved. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate that. And so 
amino acids being the building blocks of protein, just kind of breaking down uh, folks when they think of nutrition in general and nutrients, they often kind of divide them into two different categories. One is macronutrients like protein, carbs, and fat, and the other is micronutrients, um, which would be typically thought of as vitamins, minerals, essential fatty acids, and things like that. But I think um, there's uh, maybe a little bit of a crossover here because amino acids being the building blocks to protein are also essential micronutrients. And um, there are some amino acids that you can't get from, uh, or you can't synthesize within the body, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? That's right. Those are essential amino acids, and you have to get those from your diet. You can't, you can't make those uh, on your own. And those are the important ones, and those are the ones that, that need to be uh, included in your diet or either supplemented uh, because uh, you're, you're, unable, you're unable to make them on your own. Okay, and, and we could think of those as micronutrients because they're, they're needed uh, outside of... The, it's not the same if you just uh, eat a chicken breast, uh, you know, at every meal and you're getting lots of protein, it, it's not necessarily the same as getting the full spectrum of all of the amino acids. That's correct. That's correct. Okay. So, um, so yeah, let's, let's come back around to neurotransmitters a little bit. We, you touched on those and how they affect the autonomic nervous system. What are some of the main neurotransmitters that we would be interested in knowing about in that regard? Yeah, the the big neurotransmitters are, and a lot of people have heard of serotonin. Serotonin is primarily what is targeted uh, with antidepressants. They're serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And, and serotonin is the feel-good neurotransmitter. It, it makes you happy. Uh, and so that's why when you're low in it, uh, people use serotonin reuptake inhibitors to help that serotonin last longer. Now, serotonin is a precursor of melatonin. Uh, melatonin is what allows you to sleep and have a restful sleep. And melatonin is very important in the repair process. It's also important in the uh, immune system. It, it helps to identify cancer cells before they become cancer cells or become before they spread. Then you have GABA, which is also a very calming neurotransmitter. Uh, some of your uh, viewers or some of your followers may be uh, uh, familiar with GABA. It's a very calming, it's a kind of an anti-anxiety uh, type uh, neurotransmitter. And then there's dopamine, and dopamine is the reward uh, transmitter. It uh, makes you feel good, makes you motivated, makes you uh, want to accomplish things. And dopamine is also the primary neurotransmitter that seems to be depleted or have some type of uh, abnormality uh, in people who have addictions. Uh, people with low dopamine are, are more likely to have uh, more of an addictive personality. So those are more of the non-excitatory neurotransmitters, make you feel good, make you feel accomplished, make you feel calm, help you to sleep. And then there's a no, uh, adrenaline and noradrenaline, and those are the more excitatory neurotransmitters. Those are the ones that are a part of the sympathetic nervous system. And those are uh, need to be balanced off by those non-excitatory neurotransmitters uh, the, the way it should work is that anything that uh, disturbs your environment, that causes an imbalance in your external and internal environment, should be recognized by those excitatory neurotransmitters 
And then when the situation is over with or the situation has been um, uh, resolved, the non-excitatory neurotransmitters should come in and, and calm everything down. So that's that part of the autonomic uh, nervous system. But then there is also uh, acetylcholine. And acetylcholine is the primary neurotransmitter involved with the parasympathetic nervous system and with uh, uh, the vagus nerve, which is primarily involved in uh, the parasympathetic. Acetylcholine is also very important for um, uh, learning and memory. So basically those are the ones that are involved in, in having a normal heart rate variability. Okay, so so um, on one end you have these excitatory kind of sympathetic dominant uh, or sympathetic related neurotransmitters, and then on the other hand you have the calming kind of uh, concoction, so to speak, of of neurotransmitters that should be kind of the ones that are uh, more regulating things are regulating things more often than the excitatory. Uh, neurotransmitters, if I'm not mistaken, is that uh, safe to say, or is that kind of just extrapolating no. a little bit? No, that's exactly right. Those uh, calming neurotransmitters should uh, come by to balance off uh, the uh, the more excitatory ones. But you know, the the problem is, and I know we may, I, I don't know if we'll get into this later. It, it, here's the the problem: your body's number one goal is survival. So when neurotransmitters are low or when amino acids are low, the building blocks to neurotransmitters are low, your body will, uh, will automatically defer its supply or its production toward the sympathetic because it wants to make sure you're able to identify any danger or any problem. So if, it's, if it has to decide which one, is it, uh, which one the body is going to make based on supply and demand, what will happen, it will, it will always defer toward the excitatory and it will uh, sacrifice the non-excitatory neurotransmitters to make sure that you're able to survive. So that's why a, a lot of people who, uh, well, it's really almost an epidemic in, in society, is that uh, people are anxious, uh, they are, uh, have difficulty sleeping. Uh, so, so that's how the body works. Survival is the number one goal. So if it has a, a, a minimal supply, it is always going to err on the side of the sympathetic and it's going to sacrifice the parasympathetic. And that's what causes an abnormal heart rate variability. You see uh, uh, the decrease of the variability is due to the lack of the parasympathetic uh, or non-excitatory uh, activity in the heart rate variability. Okay, so that's that's awesome. Before we dive into kind of some of the specific processes that underlie all of these, um, that I just wanted to reiterate what you just said, and that how you can relate it back to heart rate variability. If so, if you're depleting your amino acids, and over time, you know, this is something that happens over time. It doesn't just happen overnight. Um, then your body will prioritize. Uh, keeping the sympathetic uh, side of things fueled and over time the parasympathetic strength will degrade and obviously there's probably exceptions or something um, to that but that we're just talking about generally for most people um, in today's modern society and then that can cause a uh, kind of a cascading effect of 
decreasing heart rate variability over time and gradually going down, which which folks who listen to the show would be really familiar with. Um, decreasing heart rate variability over time also correlates with, um, you know, increased biological age. So you're aging, um, decreased flexibility and resilience to stressors, whether that's environmental stressors, nutritional stressors, social stress, work stress, all of those types of things are correlated with reduced heart rate variability over time. And I would assume also correlated with um, depleted neurotransmitters over time as well. Uh, you're, you're exactly right. Yes, all of those stressors, you know, you, you listed all of those stressors, they're all taxing the system. And the, the problem is, you know, as you were saying, you, you, you had this long list and the list can be even longer. Uh, these are all things that your uh, body has to respond to and has to adjust to. And that's how this system works. It should, it should recognize the stress with the sympathetic and then it should try and correct uh, the body's response to the stress or recover from the stress using the, the parasympathetic. So when the parasympathetic is uh, depleted or is low, you have a hard time recovering from that stress. And I know you have a lot of people who are, who are physically stressing out their body. And the whole reason why you're doing the heart rate variability is to see if they've had enough time for that parasympathetic nervous system to recover from the physical stress. But uh, you see that that's only one part of all of the stressors that we have to deal with. And the same system deals with uh, all of those stressors. So if you are taxing your uh, body in an extraordinary way physically, and you also have these other stressors, which most people do, they have family, they have jobs, uh, this, if you don't actively try and replete this system, uh, something is going to, uh, suffer and, uh, it may be your physical strength. It may be your ability to handle stress at the job. It may be able, it may be the ability to handle stress with your relationship with your spouse or with your children. Uh, but, uh, something will suffer. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the specific processes um, that underlie the ability to uh, support these neurotransmitters by getting the right amino acids. And I know that there's a lot of uh, stuff involved in this process. So um, I just want to let folks know that if you're listening to this on audio only, Dr. Taylor does have some slides that kind of provide some visual guidance as to what we're talking about. And I'm going to post those with this audio post over on Elite HRV. So I'll put a link in the description of the show notes here. And um, and you'll also be able to find that on the blog post. So um Okay, so uh, neurotransmitter, let's say serotonin, is it's a feel-good neurotransmitter, and um, when it's low, you can have feelings of depression, carbohydrate cravings, and things like that. Um, you know, is there a relationship with uh, blood glucose or insulin and serotonin? Uh, yeah, well, here, here's the relationship, is that when serotonin is low, uh, the reason why you have uh, uh, carbohydrate cravings is that the body knows that the quickest way to increase uh, serotonin is to increase insulin. 
And so what happens is, is that you crave carbohydrates in order to get your blood sugar up and to release insulin. And then insulin actually increases serotonin. So that's why they're called comfort foods. And, and that's why you have the carbohydrate cravings. If uh, I always say if a patient has carbohydrate cravings, they have a serotonin deficiency until proven otherwise. And you can give the amino acid L-tryptophan, which is, one of the, which is the precursor for uh, serotonin. And actually it's 5-HTP. Uh, five it's a long name, 5-hydroxytryptophan. Uh, but yeah, that's how it's associated with uh, low glucose. Insulin increases serotonin. And the way you increase your uh, insulin is by eating uh, a simple carbohydrate. And the simple heart, uh, carbohydrate makes you feel good, but it also raises your insulin. So that's why you get the, the good feeling and then you get the crash. You get the glucose, you get the raised insulin, you get the serotonin, then the insulin decreases your glucose again. Now you're back down with a low glucose again and you're feeling like you have to eat more carbohydrates. So, okay. um, so that's how those are associated. And in the nasty thing about that, so to speak, is that, like you said, it's kind of a self-perpetuating loop is, um, once you kind of get that reward from eating that simple carbohydrate, uh, you're actually not getting all of the other nutrients that you need for, uh, having healthy levels of serotonin over the long run. So you're kind of stuck in this quick fix cycle of having temporary boosts in serotonin, um, but not necessarily getting the building blocks that you need or for uh, future healthy levels of it. Is that right? Correct. You know, I, I, I tell patients, you know, I said, when you have a craving, it is really an uncontrollable craving because your body needs something. And what will happen is you'll, your body will need that and you'll stop by Dunkin' Donuts and you'll eat the donut and you're like, uh, wow, uh, I got what I need. I got that serotonin. And your body will kind of remember, and, I, and this is kind of hypothetical, it will remember that that was a quick way to do it. And so it will make you go. I, I, I uh, associated, you know, I, I did OB for a long time. Uh, if a person is low in iron and minerals that who's pregnant, uh, that person will go and eat starch and eat dirt uh, in order to get that iron and minerals for that baby to survive. So that's how strong a craving can be. It will make you do things that are, are socially unacceptable, but your body needs it so bad, it will do it. And so, you know, patients know that they shouldn't stop by Dunkin' Donuts. But if they are low in serotonin and their body has learned that's a way to get it, they can't help themselves. Uh, I, I used to, I don't want to go too long. I, you know, I used to, uh, I, I don't know if you guys have Krispy Kreme donuts and that uh, hot donut sign over there. It's almost, you know, draws you to it like a magnet. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're low serotonin, uh, if you're serotonin deficient, you can't drive by that hot donut sign. So, uh, so yeah, so when a person says they have a craving, it really can be uncontrollable, but it's telling you that your body needs something, but it's not the Dunkin' Donuts. It actually needs 5-hydroxytryptophan to make the serotonin. Okay. And so, so we've talked about um, amino acids. Um, are there other parts of the process that are important, like digestive parts or uh, other vitamins and minerals that need to interact with amino acids to kind of complete the 
supply chain, so to speak, for neurotransmitters? Well, I, I, I want to start off here and, and, and try and explain why there may be a deficiency in amino acids in a lot of people. Okay. If you can, if you eat proteins, you can eat, you know, uh, chicken breasts that are hormone free and, you know, the most healthy protein that you have. If you do not have the adequate amount of stomach acid, you cannot break down the, those proteins into amino acids. We have so many people who are on antacid medicine, who are on Nexium and, and taking all kinds of antacids. And those medications have been associated with uh, dementia, increasing dementia by 44%. Well, why would that be? Well, if you, if you don't have neurotransmitters, if you don't have proteins that can be broken down into amino acids, you don't have neurotransmitters, so your brain cannot work. Uh, I've seen patients who have lost, you know, who lose muscle mass while they're on these antacids. So the first, uh, the first process that has to be uh, initiated is that you have to have stomach acid. It's almost, if you look at commercials, you almost think like it's a mistake to have acid in your stomach that you should, you know, rid yourself of stomach acid. But this is a very important process in, um, and breaking down proteins and also in absorption of B12. So that's number one. If you're on an, an, an acid, uh, you shouldn't be. And we can talk about other ways to do that by taking apple cider vinegar and taking digestive enzymes. But uh, that's number one. Now, you talked about, uh, you talked about the uh, slide that, I, uh, that we're going to uh, have associated with this. And it's, it's very complicated. There are a lot of vitamins and minerals that uh, need to be in place. Uh, in the stomach, you have to have zinc. Uh, zinc is a mineral that is uh, very hard to come by in your diet because the soil is so depleted of, uh, of natural minerals. Uh, all of the B vitamins are involved. Vitamin C is involved. Uh, magnesium. Uh, methionine. It's it's a it's 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 incredible. If you look at the slides, you'll see all of the vitamins and minerals that are needed in different uh, areas of this process in order to create these neurotransmitters. Uh, if you have a perfect diet, you might be able to do this. And a very uh, diverse diet, you might be able to to accomplish this. But because we tax this system so much with all the stress that we have. It's very hard to get all of these vitamins and minerals in your diet. And when you when you say that, it so I've just independently um, read a lot about this, and in my own experimentation, have experienced a similar um, uh, phenomenon. And <clears throat> you know, when you're listing out on the slide here, zinc, um, different B vitamins, folate, uh, iron magnesium. Uh, if anyone uh, has been researching micronutrients, which I don't know if everybody just does that for fun, but um, they might find statistics that are pretty universally understood that the majority of folks are deficient in these micronutrients, uh, zinc, magnesium. And it's just like you said, the soils are kind of depleted of these micronutrients due to uh, some questionable mass farming uh, techniques and things like that. But 
like you said, so foods that historically may have provided a lot of magnesium, for example, uh, may not be providing that many uh, or that much of it anymore. And so you'd have to eat a lot of it uh, to to get that micronutrient from food. And then the other aspect of it too, like you said, is um, there's a lot of kind of inflammatory foods and a lot of inflammatory lifestyle factors that inhibit the absorption of it and or dip, uh, just use it up faster. Um, so I just kind of wanted to summarize my understanding of it. And that was just from independent research that corroborates kind of what you're saying. Is that, are we all on the same page with that? Is that kind of sound? Oh, no doubt. No, no doubt about it. Yeah. The farming techniques, what happens is they, they turn over the soil so quickly. They're, you know, they're trying to rapidly produce these foods. They're genetically modified foods. And even if they're not genetically modified, the soil, uh, just hasn't been allowed to reaccumulate these uh, these uh, trace minerals, and uh, so yeah, what you you know uh, uh, the broccoli that you eat now is not like the broccoli that your grandparents ate, uh, and so yeah, you don't have all of it's just so hard to get this. You'd have to eat a lot of these uh, vegetables and and fruits and vegetables. Uh, and uh, living type foods in order to get these uh, get these nutrients, and and I I want to I want to say this one thing, um, I'm seeing people deplete this system earlier and earlier. I'm seeing more and more kids. I'm seeing a, a person today who's 16, who uh, has to had to be taken out of school because of the stress of uh, her coursework. And it's not because the person is is dumb. It's just because they have pushed themselves so far. They have used up these neurotransmitters. When I when I do heart rate variabilities on them, to which a 16 year old it should be great, uh, it's it looks like a heart rate variability of somebody who's 40 or 50, because the stress of everything that they're doing in school and all these extra activities, uh, it's just it's amazing. And so part of it is probably, you know, young people don't have a great diet anyway, but even if they are trying to, you know, eat their, all their peas before they go to bed or whatever, it just doesn't have what it used to have. Right. Yeah. That, yeah, exactly. And I think there's also some kind of generational stressors and, and choices that, uh, especially after the industrial revolution kind of cascaded into, um, generational damage. And of course, you being OB in the past, understand that um, choices that your parents make can definitely set you up for a harder or easier time um, in your life. But uh, oh yeah, we won't go down that whole rabbit hole. So <laughs> uh, on your um, on your slide, you have a couple key areas. Um, and the word gut bacteria is pretty large in two spots. Uh, could you talk about why gut bacteria plays a role in all of this? Well, gut bacteria helps to complete the digestive process. It's not only the, the stomach acid uh, that completes the process, but it's also you have to have the proper gut bacteria in order to uh, uh, activate uh, some of the uh, enzymes to break down these uh, amino acids and to convert them into the neurotransmitters. And you were talking about inflammatory foods and the 
gut bacteria is so important in the immune process. So if you don't have proper gut bacteria, uh, the gut bacteria actually modulates or, or um, down regulates the immune system so you don't overreact to uh, things in the environment that you should react to. So uh, gut bacteria calming down the inflammatory process so that you can actually absorb uh, these micronutrients are very important. Uh, again, you know, almost everybody's been on, uh, you know, antibiotics throughout their life, especially these kids and everybody. So, and if you don't replace gut bacteria and you are, if you're not eating foods that have live bacteria, uh, your gut bacteria is going to suffer and you're going to get something called dysbiosis where the bacteria is not in the proper uh, balance. And so it causes problems with absorption, causes problems with inflammation. So, uh, yeah, your gut has to be working um, at a high level in order for you to be able to produce these neurotransmitters. Okay, and so to kind of... Um uh, link that back to uh, the original path that we were going down. So there's these micronutrients um, that we need for uh, proper production of neurotransmitters and to keep up with. Uh, and those neurotransmitters are essential for function of both branches of the autonomic nervous system. And in order to get those or build those neurotransmitters, either uh, we need to um, consume the building blocks from food or supplements and and also provide the right environment to absorb those that we consume. So we need um, kind of complementary vitamins and minerals. Uh, we need uh, adequate levels of stomach acid to break down proteins. We need digest digestive enzymes that are either supplemented or, or naturally produced in the body. And we need a healthy gut bacteria to uh, kind of break all of this down um, and also kind of signal to the body, as you mentioned. I think that's an interesting point, too, is that gut bacteria, when you have adequate levels, are it helps suppress unnecessary immune activity. Like people might hear that and say, well, I don't want my immune system suppressed. Well, you don't want your immune system constantly activated. That's, um, you know, unnecessary and it probably contributes to the depletion of other resources. Um, uh, you know, so gut bacteria, what it does, uh, yeah, you're right. You don't want to suppress it, but it, it, it prevents the immune system from going overboard. You want it to, you want it to attack the foreign body, but if you don't have some uh, regulator to it, it will start to destroy normal tissue because it doesn't have an off switch. The other thing about gut bacteria, normal gut bacteria actually stimulates digestive enzymes. It, it actually stimulates the pancreas to make uh, digestive enzymes. So you need the digestive enzymes, but also if you have good gut bacteria, uh, your body will naturally produce uh, more digestive enzymes. Okay. Wow. That's good mm -hmm. to know. Mm -hmm. And um, and we had talked about... Uh, you know, potentially getting some of the, of these building blocks from food. And I just wanted to uh, reiterate, because I, I looked up real quick, um, I had had, an, had a note uh, that when we're talking about variety of 
you know, some people might think, oh yeah, I, I eat a pretty wide variety of things. Um, but <laughs> it, it'd be interesting to kind of dig into that. And I encourage any listeners that are listening to kind of look at the ingredients and see how wide the variety, not of the micronutrients, but actually of the actual substances are, because you might find that a lot of things are really primarily made from corn or soy or wheat, um, and they're really just rearranged in different ways and not necessarily providing any uh, diversity. And uh, conversely to that, there's I just want to give an example of uh, there's been some studies of um, you know, ancestral oriented uh, groups of humans. And there's uh, in central Australia, there's a tribe called the Aliawara. I, I probably am uh, <laughs> mispronouncing that, but it's found uh, that they consume 92 different plant species on a regular basis. <laughs> and the Tloqua uh, tribe in Botswana they consume around 126 different plant species on a, on a regular basis. And so, you know, I kind of pride myself that I've done a ton of uh, nutritional research and experimentation over the years and have really tweaked my diet really well. I went and counted and I'm not even getting to half that, not on a, not on a regular short-term basis, maybe over the course of a year or something, but, um, I eat a ton of different vegetables and it's hard to get that diverse. Um, yeah. So yeah. That, that, yeah, that's a, that's amazing that they can eat that many uh, different, uh, uh, different things. It is. And you know, you can't even think of can uh, you know, I, I challenge folks to listen, uh, think of 92 different edible vegetables Think of think of 126 different edible plants that you might consume. It's pretty hard. Yeah. Um, and you know, this is another uh, maybe a tangent a little bit, but it makes me want to uh, take some of those wild edibles classes that uh, teach you a little bit more about your local environment. But that's a that's a whole other uh, uh, side tangent. So. So we've talked about amino acids and vitamins and minerals, um, stomach acid, that being an important role, gut bacteria being important. Um, could we name off, uh, you mentioned um, zinc, magnesium, B vitamins, uh, folate. What Just generally, what are some other nutrients that are important for energy and improved HRV? Uh Copper is another uh, mineral. Uh, all of the B vitamins, uh, magnesium, uh, something called uh, SAMe with S-adenosylmethionine. A lot of people haven't heard of, but some people that helps with the depression because it is involved in serotonin and melatonin. Uh, uh, calcium. Uh, what else? Uh, folate, iron, zinc, magnesium. Uh, all of the B vitamins, the B vitamins consist of B1, B3, B5, B6, B12, and folate. Um, so that's it. That's all. That's all you got to do. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's all so, you need to do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to post the slides that uh, have some additional 
kind of notes and uh, charts linking things together. Um, and then I encourage folks listening to check out those slides and see, um, you know, look up uh, some of these micronutrients, get familiar with them, why they're important. Um, you know, this is the type of information that it's just good to know. Uh, you don't have to know the exact mechanisms that link them all together, but just having a general concept of which micronutrients are hard to come by. Um, and Dr. Taylor, I, I wanted to also reiterate when when folks hear you saying these things, um, you know, one, of course, there's there's been some of a exploratory um, ex- uh, research process, but you also have come across this in your clinical practice. And this, these are things that you've identified over time being kind of repeat patterns with your patients, I think is what you've told me in some of our conversations. And is that true? Can you shed a little light on that? Uh, yeah, well, I, I started uh, you know, looking at HRV uh, I don't know, probably 10 years ago. And uh, what I saw, and, and again, I know you primarily work with athletes who are athletes and, and people who are really, you know, at the top of that health. Well, I'll, I'll just interrupt you. <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> it, apologies, but it, no, it's actually, you know, originally um, the audience did consist of a lot of high-performance athletes, which it still does. Um, but a lot of folks, even even the high-performance athletes are, are thinking, you know, I really want to make sure I have a solid base of health uh, underneath that performance so that I can continue to improve and perform over the long term. And then the other uh, side of things is that ab- about half the user base now is health-focused, uh, primarily or uh, primary health-focused over the performance side. So we have a, a nice mix and there will be people that are definitely uh, struggling with chronic disease or just not operating at the level that they feel like they should be or that others are and they'll definitely uh, be able to <laughs> relate to uh what you're what you're about to say well okay well you know I, I i'm at kind of the other end of the spectrum people usually come to me uh complaining of being fatigued can't sleep can't uh, control their weight uh been to a lot of other doctors and these people don't actually have any disease that they that needs to be treated with any kind of medication even though they're often given antidepressants and sleeping pills and so the heart rate variability has allowed me to show them what is going on that you know their uh fight or flight system is uh working and their rest and digest system is not the parasympathetic and so I saw over and over uh, people with low heart rate variabilities. And, you know, it's great to, to be able to show them, hey, this is why you can't sleep and this is why you have no energy. Your sympathetic nervous system is low, but your parasympathetic nervous system is lower. So that's why uh, even though they're fatigued, they have the anxiety, but they can't sleep because neither one of those systems uh, have what it needs to be working at full power. And so uh, I've seen that if you give them uh, what the body needs to uh, make neurotransmitters, the body will make them. Uh, so we use uh, an amino acid uh, uh, product that has uh, not only just protein in it, but it also has some of these other micronutrients that are needed 
in the in this uh, uh, biophysiology type uh, process here. So uh, I've seen it improve heart rate variabilities, and I've also seen these patients who had really kind of uh, given up and just thought they were never going to function at their normal level uh, to be able to sleep, to think, to not be fatigued uh, because the body was able to and, and not be anxious, not be depressed by uh, giving the body what it needs. And if you do, uh, it'll function uh, normally again. Right. Definitely from what I've seen, when folks are able to restore balance to their autonomic nervous system, it can be life-changing. And I've seen some of your patient testimonials about the before and after effects of them restoring all the building blocks and neurotransmitter health and things that they need to have energy and kind of reverse that stereotypical aging process that people tend to take for granted. Right. Because, you know, uh, people age when they can't recover and rebuild uh, their body. You know, the, the body's always getting rid of old cells and making new cells. But if it doesn't have the building blocks to make new cells, uh, then you're going to age. Those older, cell to, uh, those older cells are going to have to be in place longer, and they're not going to function as well as new cells. So, uh, yeah, if you're talking about anti-aging, uh, amino acids are important. Amino acids are important in building collagen uh, to make the skin look better. A lot of people spend a lot of money on doing things to make their skin look better, but if you don't uh, do the things on the inside to help support that, uh, it's not going to be very long-lasting. Right. And then, you know, uh, folks who've listened to me speak before probably know that I try as hard as I can to get as much of the nutrients that I can from whole foods. And uh, even though I spend a lot of time trying to figure that out, probably a lot more time than most folks, um, it it still kind of comes back around that I can't always get the full spectrum of nutrients that I need. And um, that's kind of one thing I think that you ran into too. I mean, do you... you you try to do nutritional intervention type or changes with your clients as well, right? Oh, yes, no doubt about it. You know, I, I, I tell people, hey, look, uh, only way your body can renew itself is by what you put in your mouth and how well your gut can process it. And so uh, those are the two things we look at is, you know, what are you eating and how well does your how well is your gut processing um, these nutrients that you're putting in. So yes, uh, I always want patients to first try and do it with whole foods and their diet. And if they do, and, and, and a lot of people, if you clean up your diet, you're going to feel, you're going to feel better. Uh, but uh, for some people, it's more difficult than others. And again, it's also easier the younger you are to be able to do it just with diet, just with uh, age itself is just a, a fact of life that stomach acid and digestive enzymes go down as you get older. So even if you have a good diet, as you get older, uh, the decrease in stomach acid is is really an issue uh, with that digestive uh, process. So yes, uh, getting it from whole foods is the is the best way to do it. But uh, as you get older, even that process becomes uh, more difficult. And, uh, 
And one thing about stomach acid, and you may have you may have said this before, when people have indigestion or GERD, if they don't have a real anatomical problem, then they are actually having um, gastroesophageal reflux or heartburn, not because of too much acid, but actually from too little acid. Because when there's not enough acid or digestive enzymes in the stomach, the food sits there and it can't be processed further down the the gut, you know, the GI process down toward, you know, the digestive system or the intestines. So when the food sits there and can't go down the digestive process, then it begins to go toward the path of least resistance. And the sphincter that goes from the stomach to the intestines uh, and the sphincter that goes from the stomach back up the esophagus or that tube where you feel the burning. Uh, if you don't have enough stomach acid and digestive enzymes to send it down that way, it begins to go up the other way. So the real way to treat uh, reflux is not with getting rid of the acid, but actually increasing the acid and the digestive enzymes. So you want to take digestive enzymes that have uh, uh, hydrochloric acid in it, or you want to take apple cider vinegar. That's the real way to treat that. And almost anyone who's over 50 is going to, to have to to increase their stomach acid. So I, I, I'm harping on that because that's the first part of the process if you want to change it with the, if you want to change the HRV with your diet. Right. Yeah. I mean, for protein to be able to be broken down into the amino acids, like a couple things right away that uh, help with that is chewing your protein. Um, So making sure you chew it up, get a a lot of plenty of surface area for that stomach acid to interact with it. Um, You know, don't just uh, do the hot dog eating contest where you just uh, (laughs) dip it in water and swallow it whole. Right. um, And then uh, having that adequate stomach acid because protein especially uh, relies upon the upper kind of digestive tract to uh, really kick that digestive process into full gear. At least that's kind of my uh, understanding of things. And yeah. it's just like that old grandma wisdom. You know, chew your food, and uh, you know, take your time, uh, chew your food. And you're right; you're increasing that surface area uh, so that that stomach acid, even if you have low stomach acid, it, it has enough surface area to to break down that protein. I'm definitely a proponent of trying to get as much of your nutrition as possible from like a whole foods type source. But uh, I also recognize that I'm not always able to get the full spectrum of nutrients that I need. And kind of as a, a quick aside on that, there there are many reasons why one might choose to be vegetarian or vegan. So I'm not just picking on it for no reason, but I'll say this real quick that if you don't eat animal products of any kind, then you almost certainly need to be supplementing with uh, the essential amino acids among other uh, micronutrients as well. So, but even otherwise, even if you eat a variety of meats from different sources, some amino acids are harder to find, and uh, some amino acids are not really even that prevalent in muscle meat, which is the most common type of meat that you'd be familiar with, like chicken breast, steak, roasts, pork chops, those types of things. Um, you really need to incorporate things like organ meat and bone broth, 
which bone broth made with real bones and joint tissue, you know, simmered, boiled uh, to extract the collagen and other, um, you know, proteins and amino acids from that from that tissue um, to get the full spectrum of amino acids and other micronutrients. But alas, <laughs> life happens in our modern environment. It's highly unlikely that digestion and absorption is always functioning optimally. And if you're like me, despite trying my darndest, really, it's I don't always have the time and energy to prepare dozens or even up to a hundred different types of foods. <laughs> um, so in my experience, it's there's opportunities where some smart targeted supplementation can really help play a role in filling in some of those gaps. And uh, yeah, there's definitely times when that is really, well, I'll, I'll come back around to that. But yeah, I believe you've started you've started identifying a lot of those gaps based on your experience in the clinic. Um, and and you've kind of come up with a supplement stack, really some recommendations at least that have made a huge difference to your patient's health outcomes. Yeah, that, that's correct. And when you, especially when you talked about uh, vegans, uh, uh, one uh, very important supplement is uh, L-carnitine. L-carnitine actually... Uh, allows fat to go into the mitochondria to uh, create energy. And that is the primary energy source for the heart muscle is fatty acids. And if you're low in carnitine, it's going to cause a problem with your heart muscle actually being able to produce uh, energy. And the only way you can get that is through red meat. So uh, for vegans or vegetarians, that's a sub that they're almost always low in, in carnitine. But yes, different meats have different uh, amino acids that you may need uh, so so yeah it's it's difficult and and you're right the the patients who are fatigued when you tell them they need to go and boil bones and get fine tongue meat and whatever that's just it's overwhelming to say that I, you know i'm gonna have to do all of that just to get better and they just say forget it i'll just keep living like i'm living i don't have the energy to do it Right, and that's exactly, and it and it's not a moral failing on their part. It's just that there's so much um, other, there are so many other things in life to deal with that um, when you're already depleted, tacking on all of this extra work can be very daunting. And that's why I was kind of hinting at earlier is that that's kind of a good time to find ways to kind of boost your results. Um, one, of course, is eliminating inflammatory foods and reducing some of those depletion, um, which I'm actually writing up a full blog post for this episode that includes kind of some steps on plugging the drain uh, as far as re- uh, reducing the amount of depletion that happens to you on a daily basis and then starting to fill in some of those gaps and getting a little bit of a boost of energy and autonomic strength um, but you know, I know just to be conscious of your time, in order for you to fill some of these gaps with your clients and, uh, for, especially for folks who aren't wanting to eat over a hundred types of vegetables and boil bones and eat organs and things like that, um, you've kind of come up with some formulations that fill a lot of those gaps for, uh, a wide variety of people. Uh, could you just talk a little bit about um, 
you know, Amino Restore is a really uh, important one, I think, uh, that you've kind of come up with. You and your wife have uh, formulated. What is that and what should we know about it? Well, what what happened is that, you know, I um, started doing heart rate variability and I told you that was about 10 years ago. And I realized everything that was needed. And I, I had spoken for different supplement companies about different things. And no one had really focused on this heart rate variability. And we wrote a book called The Stress Connection. And it really taught us how important stress was to health. And if you, if I was, I was going with these other supplement companies, and if I had to give you a bottle of B1, a bottle, bottle of zinc, a bottle of B6, a bottle of vitamin C, a bottle of folic, uh, folic acid, a bottle, a bottle of magnesium, uh, a, a, a bottle of copper, I mean, you were going to have to take 20 supplements in order to correct the situation. And if you don't want to go and boil bone, uh, you know, uh, uh, bones, you also don't want to take 20 supplements a day. And you're probably not going to do that for a long time. And so what my wife and I said, and it's very difficult to try and tell a person to do that and spend two, three hundred dollars a month in order to feel better. So we decided to combine as much as we could into one product. And so we came up with Amino Restore that has all of the essential amino acids. It has the vitamins and minerals. And the other thing that we included was some digestive enzymes and something called bioperin. And the bioperin helps you to increase the bioavailability of all nutrients. It helps the GI system to absorb nutrients better. That's in all of our products. So that allows us to combine smaller amounts of a variety of different uh, uh, micronutrients. And even though there's less of it, you're able to absorb more of it. And also what we found is that in nature, things work better together than they do separately. So if I combine a lot of things, your body actually uses that better than if I separate out things individually. So we, we came up with Amino Restore and we start using it. And, and so it's just, it's a powder. They can, it comes in chocolate and vanilla. They can put it in their smoothie and it's a pea protein. So it's a vegetable based protein. Pea proteins are, 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 highly absorbable. And so we use that and we've seen um, heart rate variabilities increase. Now, sometimes people need a little bit of extra B or a little bit of extra C, but a lot of times we can get patients started by uh, just putting them on the amino restore. They start to sleep better because now they're able to make melatonin. They're starting to think better. So now that we've gotten them to think better. Now maybe they can change their diet. Maybe they can go to the farmer's market and get some fresh fruits and vegetables. So you kind of have to meet people where they are. Not, not everybody is motivated enough to take 20 supplements a day. So uh, I realized that, and I, I'll tell you, I've found in my practice that uh, a patient is only going to do about three to four things on a consistent basis. So you need to solve their problem with no more than three uh, things that they have to do. And so the mm -hmm. amino restore is the one thing that we thought we could give them the biggest bang for their buck, give them the, the amino acids, put the vitamins and minerals in there that are involved in this process. And let's say get them started toward recovery. And then we can ask them to start doing other things, you know, change their diet, do a little bit of exercise. But when you see that poor HRV, uh, I think you had said previously, it's not 
it, it allows the patient to see, oh, this is why I can't exercise. This is why I can't think. And I tell them, don't try to do more than your autonomic nervous system is going to let you do. So let's start off slow. And as we build it up, then you'll be able to you know, do more things that uh, will allow this process to proceed uh, more quickly. Right. And the, yeah, you know, just uh, kind of what I found like over time as we've discussed things is that um, you originally devised these based on your experience in the clinic. What are the essential nutrients and essential amino acids that uh, folks who are depleted are missing? And you originally were only using it basically with your clients and with other uh, doctors. I know you have a network of functional medicine focused doctors that um, learn from you. And uh, so you were basically only providing it in a clinical setting like that. And that basically uh, people were asking so much that uh, you allow people to just get these on their own that you've opened it up uh, in the not too distant past to allow folks to um, get their hands on this type of product, Amino Restore, for example. And that's kind of, you know, I was happy to hear that. I have taken it before. And um, and also, it just relates so well to uh, the audience here that we're uh, talking about because in your development of it, you were monitoring heart rate variability with your patients and or, or your clients. And, um, you know, that obviously that metric uh, carries a lot of weight in this community. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's, it, I guess, uh, what I'm trying to say is it, it, it just struck me as a great opportunity to share this with the audience, share uh, your thought process uh, that you went through, and I know there's tons more we could have covered, but in the development of this and how folks can maybe benefit from it. Yeah, because, you know, I'll tell you, you know, 10 years ago, there weren't, uh, there weren't iPhones. Let me see, iPhones came in 2007. Anyway, there weren't apps where people could uh, have heart rate variability done. So the only way I knew to distribute it uh, was to try and teach doctors about heart rate variability. And so now that uh, more people know about it, uh, you know, it makes sense to make it available to a wider audience. Uh, it just wasn't that much of a market for it, you know, initially. And so my my uh, sales funnel was to was through physicians. But uh, now there's there's your app with reaching so many people. Uh, we need to do it now. Also, what would happen is is that. Uh, one patient would take it and then they would tell their sister in Iowa or whatever and there were no physicians out there uh, you know uh, using it or distributing it so uh, we figured that we had to make it you know uh, more available and there's nothing in there that can hurt you so uh, why not make it available definitely and I think it's important to note that while you and Dr. Ava were researching and experimenting with uh, what nutrients helped your patients the most. You've been measuring heart rate variability alongside this the whole time and have used that as kind of one of your guiding indicators of restoration of autonomic strength for your patients. 
Um, so, all right, so I'm going to be posting the PowerPoint that illustrates some of the relationships between the neurotransmitters and the autonomic nervous system, as well as a diagram of the different key players in the digestive process that are required for amino acid and other micronutrient absorption and uh, utilization. And I'm also going to link to your supplement line, which is called Taylor MD formulations, which I mentioned before I've used myself and I've also uh, reviewed uh, a lot of uh, Dr. Taylor's work uh, in developing these supplements. And uh, folks can check out Amino Restore and some of the other targeted products that you use in your practice, which we've talked about a little bit today. And for those listening, if you do decide to supplement, I uh, to fill in some of those nutrient gaps that we were talking about, I, of course, recommend measuring your HRV throughout the journey and paying attention to other markers, too, that are relevant to your situation and see if the supplements are actually making improvement for you. I mean, whether that's better recovery, better energy, willpower, or a more specific issue that sees progress. Um, You know, uh, Dr. Taylor uh, didn't Uh, develop these in a vacuum. He was measuring things along the way to kind of test and refine uh, what was needed and what worked. And I recommend that you do the same. So uh, always kind of take control of your own situation if you can. Um, Links to all of these are in the show notes and the post over at EliteHRV.com slash podcast or uh, tap the link in the description of this episode on your podcast player. Dr. Eldred, Always a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to share your experience with us today. It's always, always a pleasure. Okay, great. Thank you for the opportunity, Jason. We'll be talking soon.